Welcome to the Q&A session where the, you guys get to ask us questions. I don't see any pieces of paper or anything like that. Does anyone have a piece of paper they want to with your question on it you want to throw up to us so we can ask it? Uh, I see laughing in the audience. Okay, you guys probably had some really wicked questions or so. But uh, what we're going to do is uh, Vic Batista here. He has the Truth Will Set You Free radio program heard all over Miami. He's used to interviewing. He's got that wonderful radio voice. And he interviews people all the time. And he's been making an incredible amount of notes. And uh, he's, he's found some things that he thinks that he needs to ask us about. And so he's going to interview the three of us. And I think, gentlemen, we should save a question or two for him afterwards. And you're not allowed to speak in Spanish. We need to understand what you're answering. Don't, don't do that. No Ricky Ricardo. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. So we're going to do questions. Um, Vic, unless anybody has something to bring up? No? No? Okay. It's all yours, man. Thanks, Nate. Actually, as I was looking at uh, the topics, first, thank you so much for choosing. Let me make sure I'm on over here. It does say on. I have a green light. Maybe I'm too far. Testing one, two. If not, I'll borrow your mic. Right? We can do this and we'll switch. Excellent. But it was really neat. Just um, the Lord put it in your heart to call this conference Future Hope. I've been so blessed by the whole conference. I've been taking notes, and there have been certain things that you have each said that really stood out at me. And I felt, man, it would be nice to just stop and pause and maybe uh, reiterate some of the things that were shared here, and then also uh, get a little more input and information. Because when you're teaching, we can't stop you and say, hey, I got a question for you. But I was thinking about this. Despite the Rangers game, despite that tornado warning, right? The Lord has been so good. <laughs> now, I thought God is definitely up to something good here. And I know I was blessed. I know everyone here has been blessed so far. But as I was looking at the topics, there were still some other things that I felt we can still get some additional blessing if we were able to touch on some of these. And now Don shared some things, you share some things, and uh, I was circling a few notes. Don mentioned, he made a good point. He says, we don't want, we, we have Christ, but we don't want the kingdom. And I just thought, man, can you clarify that for us a little more? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, what I was doing... Uh Thank you. Uh, what I was doing, I was, I was trying to make the point in regards to uh, Israel versus the church. Uh, in Israel's day, uh, they, they had Christ. He was there as, as the Savior, but they wanted the kingdom over the Savior. In other words, uh, once Christ died and, and he rose from the dead, they said, Lord, art thou come at this moment to set the kingdom? In other words, Lord, give us the kingdom, give us the kingdom. But Christ still had promises left that, that must be fulfilled before he actually went into a physical kingdom. Yes. But today, what we do in the church, uh, and I, I meet a lot of guys that are kingdom now guys, okay? Uh, they have Jesus, but they want the kingdom. I mean, I mean I'm, so, I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, they want the kingdom, I'm sorry. Jesus is the kingdom now concern, concerning them. They don't want to give Christ a physical millennial reign. See, we, we have Jesus now. We have everything that Jesus has given us. He's seated in heavenly places. We are seated with him, you know, uh, in heavenly places. So therefore, as far as they're concerned, we got everything we need with Jesus. Thus omitting him, uh, his right to reign physically on planet Earth. So we're doing just the opposite uh, than what Israel did. Israel had him, but they wanted the kingdom. They wanted the physical reign. Uh, we want the physical reign today. No, I'm sorry. We want... We, we want the spiritual kingdom and not the physical kingdom, <laughs> and, in and essence. Know, and Don, that's what I was thinking. And I was, I was 
Nathan was sharing about heaven. And when I think about heaven, I'm just so excited. I want to be there. And yet we find people, uh, they don't want to go to heaven. And I was thinking, do you guys think it's maybe because a lot of people are just distracted by the things of this world, that they are not really considering heaven? Or maybe they just uh, don't have enough Bible knowledge to really know what the Bible has to say about heaven. So maybe, therefore, they're not looking forward to it. What do you guys think about that? I think, uh, for one, they are too centered on themselves and now. We're all that way. I mean, we all get that way. There's so much going on in our lives right now that we need to deal with that having the eternal perspective usually is an epiphany for us. We have to stop. But, you know, you can have that epiphany more than just once when you see a sunset or something. When you read the Bible, every time you read the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And that brings us out of ourselves and out of our routine and gives us that bigger perspective that we need. And so I think, yeah, we're, we're kind of stuck in our routine, in our life. I think, like you said, there's a lot of people scared. They don't, they don't know the Bible. They don't know what the future holds. And we wanted to give them that hope here in that future. And uh, anyone else want to add to that? I, I would just say I think a lot of people, too, don't have that same desire for the spiritual. You know, they, heaven is about God. It's not built just for us. It's not built just so that we can have a cool playground and forget God. It's all there to glorify him. And if people aren't willing to glorify God in this life, then the promise of glorifying God in the afterlife doesn't sound too great. You know, and so they, they get what they want. That's why they imagine, you were talking about the other day, Don, the, uh, a cover of a magazine that was talking about hell. Was it U.S. News and World's Report that had people playing volleyball down in hell and, and doing all sorts of fun things that they think were fun? You know, that's what they think. They think it's, it, it should be about me. And if it's going to be about God, why do I want to go? And I think that's, that's a big misconception. They don't understand what the spiritual really is about. They don't understand the truth of that. And that's why I appreciate what Nathan was saying. He was able to paint a picture of what reality is for heaven. Uh, I want to add one other point. Uh, in Nate's presentation, you talked about, you know, people thinking about heaven being boring. And see, a lot of times, because we don't fully understand what the future is going to look like, you know, we made uh, eternity so spiritual that we don't see it as being tangible. You know what I mean? Uh, why do I want to go to heaven? Why do I want to spend eternity uh, in heaven if all I'm going to do is fly around heaven on a cloud with harps and, and uh, Philadelphia cream cheese, you know? Uh, you know, that's how we think. We see, heaven, we see heaven in that perspective, you know? And we don't realize that, that heaven is physical. Uh, we're going to be a part of a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus promises mansions that's going to have a doorknob on it. You actually open the door and go into your mansion. You know, it's, it's physical. Uh, for me, personally, when I realized that my eternity was a physical eternity, it added value to eternity. And therefore, this world had a whole different uh, glimmer to me. My, my perspective of eternity went up. That's right. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Nathan, you mentioned something that I thought was very cool regarding that the church will not experience the wrath of God. And the way you said it was so cool. You said, you know, we will not beat up our bride and then marry her. Was it something like that, Nathan? Can you share with us a little bit? Well, sure. Well, some get the general idea, and they're called post-tribulationists. They believe that the rapture happened post, after the tribulation. And that would mean, then, that the wrath of God shows no distinction between those he loves and those he hates. Now, certainly, on earth, there's lots of suffering. You and I have, every one of us has gone through something, and, and, and that's, but that's at the hands of man or the hands of Satan. The wrath of God is something totally different. It's God's anger for rebellion and sin. 
Well, if it's anger for rebellion and sin, and believers in Christ are considered pure and holy to God because they see Jesus through in front of us, then our wrath isn't. Would God beat up his son? One time he did. He put him on the cross. But he did it for us. And so we're not destined for that wrath whatsoever. And so I just, I just couldn't picture myself beating up my wife and thinking her loved me. Why would I feel the same with God if I think that all the time he's tormenting me and torturing me? If, if that's his love, no wonder we wouldn't choose a God like that. So no, it, the, to me, the rapture happening before the tribulation, it, it, to me, is a no-brainer, and I think it's very biblical. Thank, thank you so much, Nathan. And would you also agree that maybe it's a, it's a lack of understanding of what grace is, right? Uh, I would say that too, but another part I want to add to what he was saying in regards to it, you know, I always go back to the purpose of the tribulation, though. See, uh, if, if we fully understand what God is doing in that event, we'll understand that the church has no part of it. Yes. See, it's a, it's a different dispensation. It's, dispensation. it's a different time. The tribulation is designed, as I shared in my message, it is designed to bring national Israel to a saving knowledge of Christ. They will literally accept Christ. You know, Jesus prophesied, God prophesied through his word, they would go through a season where they would receive a false Christ. Today, uh, I would say the majority of Israel today does not honor Christ. Uh, God is repopulating the land now. And what's going to happen, you know, in the tribulation, he's basically preparing them now for that time of tribulation. You know what I mean? So for me, um, when we understand the purpose of the tribulation, it, it removes the confusion of it. You know, uh, it takes all of the, uh, the confusion away from it. Thank you so much, Don. That was, that was awesome. Also, the term escapist, right? I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm fine with that. Nathan? Amen. <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about it, why would it, uh, you mentioned the illustration of that lady that was willing to have her head cut off. Was that you? Uh, uh, one of you oh, were yeah. talking about that? Uh, and her willingness and her desire to serve God. But we thank Jesus that his word is true and that we won't even have to go through the tribulation period. So we thank him for his grace and his goodness. Again, I believe also it's just a lack of uh, understanding of the true biblical teachings of the word of God. And you guys have done such an excellent job in clarifying so many issues for us. For instance, heaven, it's not a boring place. It's an awesome place. But, Nathan, I wanted to ask you, will there be gaming in heaven? I will turn you over to our resident expert on sports. If there is a heaven, then it must include hockey. I, I can see no other way that God could do this. No, I, <laughs> I'm going to stop before I get in trouble. See, I think, again, we got to understand that eternity is practical. See, everything we experience here, I believe we will experience it in the eternal world without sin. You know, hockey is not sin. I mean, hockey, I mean, it's a sport. But, but I'm saying, it, I'm saying it's, it's not sin, you know what I mean? Just like animals. We'll have animals in, in the eternal world. Animals, I get a question all the time, Brother Perkins, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be animals in eternity? I say, well, God made animals in the beginning before the fall. You know, we make it so spiritual that we miss the practicality of eternity. Everything we experience today, we'll have it in the new world, yet without sin. I believe we'll have technology. Yes. I believe we'll have, uh, like I said, jobs. You said we, we'll have jobs. I believe we'll have jobs. That was always the will of God. You know, uh, God made Adam. He told Adam to till the ground. That was before the fall. And uh, I make the statement, we'll, we'll have jobs in eternity, and people go, ooh. You know? <laughs> no, uh, it was always the will of God. Heaven won't be uh, a place full of lazy people. That's right. You know? So we've got to keep it practical. And the things we experience today, 
will have those things yet without sin. I love that. Excellent. Practical. And that is so true. Again, we're not just going to be floating on clouds, doing nothing, but we will have, uh, uh, Nathan, you, you made a great point. There's a vast universe out there. The responsibilities, the opportunities to serve the almighty God are just incredible. And I love when you mention that because too often we just sometimes we look at the scriptures and we read just a few verses and we think that that's it. It's just a few cities. I'm thinking Aventura. That's where I'm pastoring. Right. But then you look. No, there's way there's there's a whole vast universe out there uh, that it's that we don't even have a clue. And that's going to be part of what, what we're going to be serving our God. And I wanted for you to just share a little bit more regarding that, Nathan. I think we're all victims of our limited imaginations. I mean, really, what we perceive is what we think heaven is going to be like. And so our limited imaginations see what we would like and dislike, and we just aren't very creative about it. But the Bible does give us hints and things. But again, as you know, the verse says, 2 Corinthians 2, 9, that we, our minds cannot conceive. Physically, we are incapable of conceiving what God has planned for us and prepared for us. And so the wonder of it, it's like Christmas time, I think. You know, it, 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 the wonder of what's waiting down there at the Christmas tree when you're a kid and all. I mean, you don't know. You know there's these pretty boxes. It might be shaped to give you kind of a hint that it's a bike or something. But oh, we really don't know. But the Bible does tell us a lot of things. And if we can trust God, we can trust God that it is more incredible than our imaginations will give us. something important. One of those things was that right now we're really only using a limited capacity of our brain, 10%. Now imagine as we develop uh, uh, our understanding with our glorified body and things are going to be just incredible. What do you think, Don? Again, I think we'll have the fullness of everything that we lost with Adam. You know, uh, think about Adam at the beginning of eternity. I mean, when God made Adam, uh, Adam was a brilliant man. Think about it. Uh, he named all the animals, the scripture says. What a mind, what a mind that can name the animals. So I, I believe we, you know, we'll be restored to that mind, and we'll use the brain fully to what God has given. We have, we have, we have examples of it when you see certain people that may be genius, you know what I mean? Right. And they have ability to calculate and do certain things. Uh, they can use a, a little bit more of their brain than the average uh, individual. Yes. I believe in the eternal world, we'll have full, full 100% use of that brain. So I think it'll be uh, awesome for us. I can't wait. I think that's awesome. Now, you guys were trying to put me on the spot and ask me a few questions here. I'm just testing this right now. I think it's, we might just need a little. I hear a little bit. One, two, one, two. Yeah, I think I just have to bring it a little closer. And um, take it easy on me, okay? But um, you were going to hit me with a few questions regarding some of the things that I spoke about yesterday. Anything, Nathan? Well, one thing I noticed, and you brought this up when we did a radio interview the other week, yes. is that uh, crystal balls, you brought your own. Yes. I'm not bringing you back next year. <laughs> and uh, people didn't know that he also brought a Merlin hat and, and fake tarot cards. So he had planned a whole demonstration but ran out of time. But you do that. You see a lot of these people. Why do you? Can you explain a little more? Why do you think that people... Run to charlatans, and, they, and overall, they must know they're charlatans looking for some glimmer of hope. I know, Nathan. And that's uh, as I think about all these charlatans, is, uh, I, I come to the conclusion that people are so desperate because we're living in the last days that they'll, they're willing to turn to just about anyone. And sad to say, the people that they're turning to really don't have any answers. They're just guessing. And at the end of the day, they're just taking their money. And the people are still empty. They're still confused. And this is why I find that this conference is excellent to provide the hope and the truth 
of the future and where the truth comes from. It comes from the word of God. Anything that is not found in his word, well, we know that it's not, it can't be trusted. It's a lie. So, Nathan, I, I really feel that that's one of the reasons is that people are just desperate. And I think we as the church of Jesus Christ need to capitalize on this and take this opportunity to be able, uh, like the lady, when she handed me that her card, it was a God-ordained uh, appointment right there for me to turn to her and be able to witness to her. And she's probably maybe never had anyone actually try to talk her about spiritual truth because generally people turn to them as supposedly their spiritual advisors. And it was really cool just to be able to present to her that our hope lies not, uh, not in the superficial, but what the Bible has to say. And if we can at least plant a seed in somebody's heart, uh, I think it was all worth it. So thank you for that question. Yeah, and I'll just follow up and say that, you know, that that underscores why it's so important that in our churches that we have to make the word yes. central. Yes. You know, that has to be a priority. We, we have too many people that, that are biblically illiterate, right. that are not confident about their knowledge of the Bible, and so they cede their authority to somebody else. They say, okay, I need an expert to tell me. I have to come here, and, and, and you guys are the experts, so, so we can listen to you guys and, and learn, and uh, no, I can't handle it myself. Right. And, and the Word says we need to train ourselves to become workmen who correctly handle the Word of truth. Mm-hmm. That's what it's there for. So the more we know, the more confident we can be in the truth. The, the more we know how to live, the more we know what hope is out there, mm-hmm. and the better we can answer uh, the questions that, that arise. Yes. So it's, it's critical that we get into that word. And you know what, Steve, is interesting, but if you ever actually challenge one of these so-called spiritual advisors, you'll be surprised how little they actually know about the Bible. And they have this twisted truth. I was at a Starbucks, which is my mobile office, <laughs> and this older lady came into Starbucks, and she, uh, she saw me reading the Bible. And I always encourage people, guys, wherever you go, take a Bible with you whether it's a Starbucks, and just open it. And it starts, it's a great conversation starter, right? And I just have my Bible open, and she came over, and she goes, oh, I see you have a Bible. I said, well, yes, uh, I read the Bible. And she goes, well, actually, I have my own group, and I teach the Bible to different people every week. And I'm thinking maybe she's a pastor or something. Comes to turn out, another, uh, tur- comes to, uh, turn, out, um, turn out, sorry, my Spanish and English is getting mixed up. <laughs> it, it turns, let me say it in Spanish, maybe you'll understand it. No, it turns out that she had this small group, like a Bible study, and she was their spiritual advisor. And when I began to talk to her about biblical truths and what the Bible, I quickly realized she had bits and pieces of what the Bible said, but not a good working knowledge. And they were pulling scripture out of context and spiritualizing these scriptures. And people that don't know the Bible either, they think it's true. Just like the enemy does, right? He gives... Go ahead, Nate. Well, th- that's why we have cults. That's why we have people, they, they take a verse or two, they pop it out, and they run with it, and they get this great idea. And we can do that, too, unless we take the Bible literally and what's called, I'm going to use a big word, hermeneutically, the art and science of interpreting right. the Bible. But the, one of those Bible school-type definitions. But we have to take the Bible as an entirety. You know, you can't flip to a verse and say, the captain of 50 men ranked, the counts are skilled, craftsmen, clever, trying to make boys of their officials. Well, there you go. I'm going to have a whole cold about turning boys into officials. You can't do stuff like that. you got to read the Bible in entirety to see its themes. And that requires what some people call the dirty five-letter word, study. 
Yeah. You got to study. I mean, and if it's God's word, if it's the key that unlocks eternity, why are we why are we lazy about it? And you know, some people aren't readers. Right. There's plenty of videos and plenty of stuff. But how are you going to know if somebody is telling you the truth? How do you know if the four of us told you anything legitimate unless you get in there and study it yourself? That's and it's right. very important. And it, it it's got eternal consequences. You know, and Steve, he he brought us some excellent points regarding the copies of the working manuscripts that you that we have today. And, and how that really serves us, it should serve us great confidence for us in the word that we have in our hands. And you mentioned it was like 2,400 copies or 24,000 uh, copies or, or fragments of copies that they have found over the years. And, and it's just amazing, you know, they, they find variations in those copies. Okay. And, but it's, it's the equivalent of a typo, you know, putting a space between the E and the, and the H in the letter, in the word the. You, know, right. you can figure it out. And if you have multiple copies there where the, their typo is here or a typo is here or this one was plural and this one was singular, I mean, the, cha- the variations that they have are not significant variations. You can look in there and, it, and unless you're a complete idiot, <laughs> you can figure it out. You can figure out what the, what the original said. And that, that's a great thing. I think that that shows God's hand in it. Yeah. You know? If we only had two copies somewhere, then there'd be a lot, a lot of doubt. And yet he was faithful and he preserved these copies along the way so that we could find them, so that we could check and be, be absolutely confident that the word that we have is the word that he intended. Yes. And we have no, no doubt that if we study it, we can know. Mm-hmm. And so. you said something interesting. You said that we have these manuscripts and we can also cross-reference them. So that we can see, wow, the same thing that this Bible, Don's Bible. By the way, this is a nice Bible, man. I love the star. But that the same word that you have here, as we look back, we match it up, and we see that it's the same exact. I don't know about you guys, but I love to collect Bibles. If you go to my house, I have like a whole, you know. You have a Navajo Bible. You too? Yeah. And and the reason why I have so many Bibles, and I tell people, it's not just for display. There's a purpose for them. And I try to collect the most uh, uh, oldest um, type of Bibles. And for me, uh, I just love to see what the Bible said the 15 in the 1500s the the newer versions and and uh for the for that same reasons because those there are skeptics out there that will say well the bible has errors and your bible can't be trusted but and i said but wait a minute this message today is the same that it was 500 years ago a thousand years ago so if there's a problem here i don't think it's with i think it's with you so that's why i really love what um what you were saying regarding the different copies and manuscripts and being able to cross-reference them to give us security and truth that this word that we have is the reliable word of God. So thank sure. you for that. Now I'm looking at the time. We have a, a, about 10 minutes left, right, Nate? And I still wanted to um, throw out a few questions unless you had something else for me, but thank you so much for that one. I'll leave it up to the other guys. To the yeah, okay, good. Then um, another thing was regarding the, um, the wrath to come. And I really think that it's so important for us to continue to uh, hit on this so that everybody understands clearly that the wrath of God is not for the church. We believe that the rapture of the church will happen way before the tribulation. Can we get a little more clarification in that regarding the timing? Um, Again, I mean, I really think, again, that the timing is is clear in Scripture. Uh, The wrath of God, we say it this way, the wrath of God is a dispensation. Let's say it that way. Uh, we know that Can you explain a dispensation just one more time? A dispensation is a period of time. Uh, it's a time that's been allocated by God for a certain uh, event. Okay, we, have the, we have the tribulation seven years. We have the millennial kingdom 
thousand years. Each is a dispensation. Both will accomplish different aspects of the will of God. Okay? So uh, the wrath of God, we can look at it as a dispensation of time where, where God is going to allow the Antichrist a season and a space uh, to, uh, to judge. As a matter of fact, the scripture says in Daniel that when the Antichrist comes to rule, Anybody that's born again in the tribulation, the Antichrist will literally wear them out. In other words, a Christian gets saved in the tribulation, he could literally die under the Antichrist's rule. And you say, well, why is God going to allow that? Well, it's a different, different uh, dispensation. Uh, God is allowing the man of sin a space and a season to do what he's going to do. It's a time frame. So I would say the wrath of God, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a dispensation that God is going to allow uh, it's, you know, God's going to use the, the, the Antichrist like a, like a puppet in a sense, you know, uh, he's going to allow that influence to come in for a reason, but it's going to accomplish something in the overall program of God and, uh, the wrath of God. I mean, wrath is anger. Wrath is, um, judgment. And, uh, the scripture says it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Uh, what I understand is that God is sovereign. One of my favorite verses in, uh, Proverbs, uh, I think it's 11. The Bible says a false balance is an abomination to God, but a just weight is his delight. And what that means is that sometimes we spend so much time on the love of God that we never see the sovereignty of God. You know, we think that God is just a God of love. We, make, we made the love of God so uh, wishy-washy. Uh, I call it sloppy agape. <laughs> really. It's, it's, it's wishy-washy love. Yeah. Listen, God is a sovereign God. And God said, you know, if you don't honor me, there's a season coming that I predicted in the word. I'm, I'm giving you forewarning. It's a time of judgment. It's my anger that's going to be revealed in the earth. And you have time right now to submit to me or you will face my judgment. Vic, I have a, a question for you because you do a lot of work down in Dominican Republic. You, you've been in the thick of it after the Haiti earthquake. Yes. You help orphans who are disabled. I mean, you've seen pain and suffering. Why do you think God allows pain and suffering? Why does he allow Satan to run amok? Why is he going to release Satan after a thousand years, if you want to add to that? I mean, why does God allow all this? Why didn't he just add him and then be done with it? I know. That's a good question. And I guess that's the one that everyone asks. Why does God allow bad things to happen, right, to good people? But a reminder, we live in a fallen world. Uh, We have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and on. And remember that it's all rebellion and sin. And uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, the world uh, fell into a, a, into a sinful state. And from there on, uh, it's just been one event after the other. But God's overall plan, his redemptive plan is at work, his love, his grace. And he's, uh, he's, he's working today. So, again, it's just that we live, we live in a fallen world. And in Matthew chapter 4, it was clear when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and, the, and the Satan came to tempt him, he offered him the things of the world. So we, 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 we do understand that uh, that's the reality. God does allow him a leash in a sense, right? right. right. But nevertheless, that's why bad things happen. So when I go to Haiti and, uh, or, or the Dominican Republic and we're ministering to these people, handicap, uh, again, it's all part of sin. But it's awesome that that time is coming, as you were saying in Isaiah 65, 20, where the child will be able to live 100 years in the time of the millennium, uh, where all that is going to be turned around, that curse. And that's what we look forward. So, Nathan, that's a great question. And, again, it's just part of sin, the sinful, na- uh, the sinful nature. But thank you so much for that question. Also, I just wanted to throw a few more things out at you, hopefully with the next few minutes that we have. And... Um, the millennium, I thought, that's one of my favorite, man, 
I'm so excited just thinking about the millennium. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining already, like Nathan was saying, what are the things that we're going to be doing in the millennium? But I really want you to just to talk to us a little more about uh, our duties in the millennium and, and a little better scope of everything that's going to take place in that thousand-year period. Well, you know, the script said that we and, were— And by the way, I'm sorry, that was Isaiah 65:20 before the, the, regarding the hundred years there. Yes. Well, you know, the Bible said that, that we will literally reign with him or we're going to serve with Christ. So, I mean, our duties will be that of helping him to govern. Yes. Uh, I believe that he will disperse us all over the world in key positions. Uh, I believe that, that many of us will be teachers. I'm a teacher now. I'll probably be a teacher in the millennium because mm-hmm. uh, people will still learn during the millennial kingdom. Uh, so, I mean, we'll have all different types of uh, duties that will help Christ administer his government to the world. Yes. You know, so we're going to be very busy. I mean, I, I really believe that. Um, I mean, it's going to be a fun time. I believe we'll still learn as well. Mm-hmm. You know, even the glorified will still learn, you know, even in the millennium. But we'll have many duties uh, to help him. We'll also uh, judge. Yes. Uh, now, again, we as the glorified, we'll have, we'll have the mind of Christ. So we'll be able to administer justice the way Christ did mm. because we are, are like him. That's why he's going to put us in key positions I love that. Of, of, of rule. You know, we're going to rule exactly like him. So if people disobey the law, uh, we'll judge them correctly because we'll have the mind of Christ. Uh-huh. You know, so it's, it's going to be a wonderful time. I'm looking forward to it. That I is really so cool. Am. And, Don, the thing is, I really, um, that is uh, a topic, the millennium, that there's not that much out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad for your material, Dr. Reagan's material and others. But, man, if there's one topic that I find is worth really uh, um uh, opening up more yes. with materials is that of the millennium yes. because uh, we know a lot about other subjects and topics, but that's one that is kind of vague. Yes. And I find for me the more details that we give regarding the millennium, it really just excites me in the bigger scope that once we're done here, there's a whole new yes. plan that God has for us and, is, and also an exciting one. Yeah. Last, um, last few minutes also, Nathan, you were talking to us about heaven and... Um, Man, heaven is just so exciting. And I love the way that, that you shared it because you gave us both sides. There's heaven, but there's also hell. But we clearly understand that hell was for Satan and his angels. And clearly, again, it wasn't made for the believers. What would you say to that, Nathan? I say that's the truth. I mean, that's what the Bible says, that Satan and his angels rebelled and their punishment was hell. I mean, the punishment is death. God isn't uh, got a merit system. You know, or a penal code where you get out after 30 years. It's it, God's black and white when it comes to sin. Yes or no, yay or nay, one or zero if you're a programmer. And uh, that's what he says, that, that that's their punishment. And when we sinned, and we just can't blame Adam and Eve. We do that. We say, oh, if Adam and Eve didn't. But, you know, I, I have three children, and I tell you, as soon as day one, they were fussy and, and rebellious. And uh, I was uh, driving through a school zone yesterday, and I knew the got cross guard, and he pointed me the wrong way. And I felt like, hmm, should I gun past him or run him over? Because all of a sudden, immediately, that rebellious spirit was like, how dare he tell me to go down a side road? I need to go down this road. And uh, that's what convicts. That's what makes us sin. It's, it's right. not just the things we do. It's what's in our hearts that Amen. matter. That's God judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm. And... Uh, that's what convicts us. Well, thank you, Nathan. That was really awesome. Just that clarification of heaven and just all the things that we have to look forward to. I wanted to uh, wrap it up asking Steve, so what, what do you want your new name to be? Because he told us we're going to get new names. Do you have something planned? Huh. Wayne Gretzky, right? 
Uh, no, actually, I, I think T-Bone. T-Bone? T-Bone will be the, the way to go. I, Listen, Steve, my name is Victoriano Batista. Now you know why I ask you writers to say Vic, okay? <laughs> Just call me Vic. But I thought that was kind of cool when Nathan was saying, reminding us that God is personal and uh, uh, it's, it's neat to know that he's, his plans continue for us, even giving us a new name, right? I, uh, we, most of us maybe have named our children biblical names because we wanted them to remember uh, something about their their, where, you know what we were thinking about them. Any of you guys have biblical names for your children? Uh, my my son's Jacob. Jacob, okay. So. Explain where your daughter's name comes from. Uh, do we really want to go there? <laughs> my my daughter's name is Cheney. Cheney. Cheney, and uh, yeah, uh, it was just one of the it, we okay. we were having a real hard time finding the right name. Right, and so we talked and talked and talked. And my wife jokingly had told several people that she's she's a strong conservative politically, and she she was joking around saying we should name her Reagan Bush Cheney Howell, and uh, and we just she said the joke so many times that after a while Cheney Howell just kind of stuck, <laughs> and so you know it. I don't know. It's well, not biblical, I, but... Uh, right. I asked that question she's because... she's still cute. Right? She's still cute. <laughs> I asked that question because sometimes we, we don't like our names, but just be glad, right, that God will give us the perfect name. So, Nate, I guess we're out of time. Can we close in prayer? Uh, actually, oh, did you have I'd some? like to have Dr. Reagan close. But again, thank yes. you, Vic, for doing this. Thank you. Dr. Reagan has been so supportive in us having this conference and bringing in these speakers. And this is his pulpit, and this is his podium, and these are his conferences, and he, he let me take it over. For just a little while, I want to thank him for it, and he's going to close us out in prayer. I hope that every one of you who came and every one of you who's watching will have the hope that Jesus gives us because we have a glorious hope ahead of us, and you can have that by accepting Jesus as your Savior. So, Dr. Reagan, if you wouldn't mind, please, coming up and closing us out in prayer. And uh, I just want to thank you again for letting us have this conference. Father, I uh, come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your love in each of our lives. I thank you, Lord, for each of these men that you brought here for this conference. Thank you for the call on their lives. I thank you for the message that burns in their hearts. I thank you for each of their ministry or churches that they represent, and pray your blessing upon them. I thank you for this church, Lord, that hosted this conference, and we pray that uh, you will multiply the blessings back to them and continue to bless their efforts to reach people in this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, have heard a lot of um, things about the future here at this conference and help us to process them now. May we be driven into your word to seek greater detail. But we do thank you that uh, your word says that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. We know many people are suffering mightily, Lord, and we just thank you for that promise that the glory to come is going to be greater than the suffering. Lord, we thank you for all the wonderful promises that you've given us about the future, and we look forward to that glorious day when your Son will appear in the heavens. We cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Be with us now as we go to our separate places. Those who will be flying on airplanes, we pray that you will give them safe journeys home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Have a good night, and God bless you.